Welcome to the Big List Podcast, the podcast where we list the weird, the wonderful, the interesting, and sometimes the downright strange. Mm. We are your hosts, Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not Romeo and Juliet, but I do love you. We are your hosts, Ames and Katie. And today our list is all about fantastic places to take your family on the next vacation. Perfect. I'm kidding. It's all about haunted locations you've actually probably never heard of. Um, if my parents ever took me to any of these places, I would emancipate immediately. I'm ready to go. My bags are packed. <laughs> Let's jump in. Let's do it. Number six. 455A Sackett Street, Brooklyn. Mm. Ever heard of it? In New York. Sorry, I won't sing ever again. Please don't. What's interesting about this haunted location is that it's an apartment. Can we just point out that we are currently sitting in my apartment? Correct. Do I have to move? No, not necessarily. But when you think about haunted locations, you think of houses mostly, right? Correct. So this is what makes this one so unusual because it is an apartment. And logically thinking this through, more people move through apartments more frequently than Mm -hmm. houses. Mm -hmm. So wouldn't you think we'd be hearing more about haunted apartments? Maybe they're just so busy with new tenants that there's no time for hauntings to settle in. Potentially. Yeah. Tell me about it. Okay, let's talk a little bit about this location in Brooklyn. This apartment, very average from the outside. Brick on the outside, you'd walk past it, think, yeah, nice apartment, cool. The apartment has a very weird history and some of the events are unexplained fires weird voices of children and some other tragedies can i just say like weird disembodied voices of children that's um check the scorecard that's a zero on the want (laughs) for me ghost children no Mm -mm. i actually find them probably the most fascinating yeah you would This apartment has three floors, including a basement. In the 1930s and 1940s, a fire actually killed a little boy within a month of the family living in this particular apartment. So sad. In the 1960s, a couple were killed by a mob due to an alleged affair that involved the couple. According to the neighbours, people frequently move in and out of this particular apartment and no one stays there for longer than 12 months. Right. There isn't a lot to find on this apartment. So in my research, it's very thin on the ground when it comes to content. However, we have a story uh, by a lady named Jane who moved into this apartment with her family when she was 14 years old in April 1998. She reports this sense of uneasy from the moment she moved into the apartment. She notes that the apartment was damp and cold all the time. Ew. In a tragic turn of events, within two weeks of moving into the house, Jane was actually raped in her own bedroom by a man from the local neighbourhood. It's terrible. Putting that tragedy aside, weird things then started happening in the apartment. Mould? Not (laughs) mould. The ceiling above Jane's brother's bed collapsed. Completely collapsed. The only reason he wasn't hurt was because he got up to use the bathroom and then it collapsed. Talk about timing. Epic timing. Following this, a fire started in Jane's room. And when the firefighters got there to put the fire out, they had no idea what had actually started it. They couldn't pinpoint where the fire came from. And according to Jane, she was actually fast asleep. And a friend had called by, which woke her up. Otherwise, she would have slept completely through the fire. It's crazy. Jane also reports that she had another friend come round who was using the bathroom and saw a burnt boy in the bathroom mirror as she was using the bathroom. Mm -mm. Jane's friend said, I am never stepping foot into this apartment ever again. And she didn't. I mean, same sis. But also, can we just address the creepy boy? Creepy boy in the mirror. Hervey. Tenants that have lived there 
all report the same things. They hear children crying and laughing. Um, They get locked in rooms, being touched by cold hands, weird smells and sounds, and this general feeling of being unwelcome, which is a difficult feeling to convey unless you've actually felt that feeling. Um, I have at my ex-mother-in-law's house at Thanksgiving. (laughs) With the exception of that. (laughs) What really seals the deal for this one was renovations were done on the house. Yeah, ghosts don't like that. Jane and her family moved out. Mm -hmm. And the body of a little boy was found in the wall of the basement. What? This house is stunning. I looked it up on realtor.com it is absolutely stunning the renovations are beautiful um completely new fit out it's big white walls up-to-date white kitchen beautiful brown floorboards it's stunning to look at the house was recently sold for three million dollars it is owned but i am not able to locate any of the details on who the new owners are I want to see the listing. Did it be like just casually? There was like nothing in there. Great park, great street parking, um, body in the basement, wonderful backyard. And I mean, I did do a little bit of uh, internet sleuthing and there, there was obviously nothing on the listing of that nature. But my, my question for you is, is this a haunted location or a turn of events that are purely coincidental? A series of unfortunate events. Ah, uh, look go either way but it was the boy in the mirror that really did it for me and, and then the they found the, the yeah no it's not okay like we have cemeteries please stop putting bodies inside of crevices of houses completely bizarre <laughs> number five for my wonderful location i'm gonna need a little bit of romantic music for my intro so can you cue that for me yep perfect love it Nestled in the nook of a narrow road is the oldest building in Wattenunder Ridge, the ancient Ram Inn. Okay, you can cut the music now. Wattenunder Ridge is a small village in England about 40 minutes from Bristol, so not that far from Bristol. The ancient Ram Inn is estimated to have been built around 1145 AD. It old? The first ingredient for this spooky soup is a pinch of being built on top of a pagan burial ground. Great place to start. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So these burial grounds dated back over 5,000 years, so they were there long before the inn ever was even conceived. Mm. And archaeologists have found remains in the area dating back 8,000 years. So very, very, very old area that this, this inn is located in. When the church across the street from the inn was built, streams had to be diverted around the church's site, which according to many opened up a portal for dark energy that was once used in rituals performed by pagans in the area. They think opened up a portal straight from basically hell. Ingredient number two in this spooky soup. This property is situated on two ley lines. One of these ley lines runs directly through, casually, the Stonehenge. Perfect. Yeah. So it's said that spirits haunt the inn and draw energy from these ley lines. Do you know what a ley line is? Mm-mm. Okay, well, let me explain them to you real quick. In 1921, an amateur archaeologist, Alfred Watkins, made a discovery. He noticed that ancient sites at different points around the world all fell into a sort of alignment. So the sites might have been man-made or they might have been natural, but they fall kind of like into a pattern. Not a straight line. But he coined these lines lay and later lay lines. Try saying that 10 times fast. (laughs) In doing so, he opened up a world of supernatural and spiritual beliefs all over the world. Now, to those who believe in ley lines, the concept is quite simple. Ley lines crisscross around the globe like latitudinal, wow, just lengthwise (laughs) and downwise. Because I'm not going to spend 25 minutes trying to say those things. Make fun of me all you want. Dotted with monuments and natural landforms. And they carry along rivers of supernatural energy. Kind of like a supernatural subway. Like a spiritual subway. Perfect. I can get around quick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so as I said before, the inn is actually... Cr- like there's two ley lines that go directly through the inn. The inn is smack bang on top of it. So it's kind of... 
uh, Grand Central Station if we're talking about a supernatural subway. The inn has had 115 owners, like actual recorded owners in its time since 1145 AD. So it's a long time. So like 115, that's a pretty decent number, but it has quite a murky history. The inn's original use was to house slaves and masons that were constructing the church across the street. And after the masons and workers had moved out, the house became home to a priest. And then later on, it was made into an inn and a public house, kind of like an Airbnb type situation. So there was a lot of dark history around the inn, but I'm sort of just giving you an overview and then we'll go a little bit more into the the darker side. But John Humphreys purchased it for um, £26,000 in the 60s, which would be about £45,900 today, or if we're playing in Australian money, about $84,000 Australian, um, saving it from imminent destruction. John lived there until his death in 2017. The ancient Ram Inn is purported to be one of the most, if not the most, haunted building in the UK, and there are plenty of eyewitness accounts to back this up. From the street, it looks like a small house, typical of the era, but once inside, it's a labyrinth of corridors and rooms. Like, it just goes on forever. One thing lots of people comment on is all the religious imagery peppered around the house. Like every nook and cranny, I watched a video of it. Mm. Every nook and cranny, there's a Bible verse or a crucifix, wow. or um, they even have like pagan symbols as well. So it's not all Christian. It's these, like a mix. Yeah. Um, some people who have been to the inn actually sort of say it's kind of like a hoarder's house okay. for religious imagery. Yep. Which, based on what I saw, Pretty accurate. (laughs) The walls of the house are adorned with passages of the Bible text, as I said, but it's only when you walk up the stairs and you're surrounded by brass candlesticks, weeping Virgin Marys, and wooden crucifixes that it really sends shivers down your spine. There's been so many paranormal investigations at this location, and every single person who walks in goes, wow, this place has has an energy, like, immediately. There's a Bible in every room, so you'd think this is pretty comforting, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Until you read at one location, it written next to the Bible, careful here. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Thanks for the heads up. Mm-hmm. The inn has some evil ass juju. Let's just put it that way. Mm. The literal pagan child grave probably doesn't help. That's right. I said child grave. Oh my God. In the 80s, the burial site of a child with a dagger in its chest was found on the property underneath the floorboards. And it's believed that this child was killed in a pagan sacrificial ritual. Oh God sacrificial yeah why people why and it's believed the kid was about five. Oh, even better but dating back like five thousand years ago so they yeah. they believed in some pretty wackadoodle yeah. stuff in the late 15th century at the height of witch hunting a witch was burned at the stake not far from the inn the accused woman fled from persecution the night before her trial by government sanctioned witch hunters so basically not at all official people mostly farmers, actually, and took refuge at the ancient Ram Inn. Two days after being on the lamb, she was captured, beaten, and burned at the stake. The room where she hid has been dubbed the witch's room, and her spirit is believed to be haunting it to this day. Good honour, I say. Sorry, if you're going to burn me at the stake, I'm taking this whole place down. I'm going to haunt you. (laughs) It's going down. Although it's reported that she really doesn't like being called a witch. She gets very upset if you call her a witch. And if you're sleeping in that room, she will actually violently shake the bed while you're sleeping. I mean, I don't think I'd like to be called a witch either. Mm -hmm. If the burned witch and child sacrifices weren't enough to convince you that this place is creepy AF, upon entering the kitchen, there's a staircase to your right. But before you think about heading up those stairs, you'll see a sign in giant capital letters that says, Keep out. And this is because there are stories of the former innkeeper's daughter who hung herself in the attic. Some sources say she was murdered, others say she killed herself, and heavy dragging noises can be heard across the floorboards and are commonly heard within this room. And they've even heard these noises from the bishop's room, which is directly below this place in the attic where they think Mm, she hung. Amazing. Amongst some of the treasure on display at the ancient Ram Inn is a 500-year-old mummified cat. Oh, bless his soul. <laughs> Do we know his um, name? Well, uh, we can call him Charcoal. <laughs> <laughs> it was believed that cats had a sixth sense. We all know that. They do. Um, but back in those days, they thought putting a cat in the wall 
was for protection. Was for protection. It was yeah. a blood sacrifice, so the animal could use its psych ability, psychic abilities to find and ward off unwanted spirits. It was also a fairly common practice for the time to have cats put behind fireplaces. Yes, I heard a lot about that. Yeah, in yeah. buildings at the same age. So then we have the bishop's room. The bishop's room, and I apologize, this one's a doozy. I should have said this. There's a lot to this place. Mm. And it's been, there's thousands of stories of haunting. I tried to condense it as much as I could, but I'm just getting juicy bits for you. Then we have the bishop's room. The bishop's room is considered to have the darkest energy out of all the rooms. So this is where bishops stayed in days past, and the room is supposedly haunted by spirits of several dark monks and evil spirits. During the 14th century, a monk is supposed to have died in that room after having, casually, his head shoved into the fireplace. So that's how he was murdered. Head in fireplace, I burned to death? Mm-hmm. Okay. In this room, violent knocking sounds can be can be heard on a regular basis. Um, and it's also reported that furniture will just fly across the room. When the inn operated as like a bed and breakfast, people who were bold enough to sleep in that room They never had a guest stay the full night in that room. They all left terrified. During repairs on this part of the inn back in the 80s, a Roman centurion appeared on horseback riding in broad daylight through the walls towards plumbers who were minding their own businesses. Like, business, I should say, not businesses, but they were minding their own businesses. They're (laughs) self-employed. John, the previous previous owner of the inn, reported two demonic entities in the room. So the bishop's room was actually, he turned it into his own bedroom. So he stayed there the first night that he owned the inn and he called it his bedroom. Okay. Because sucker for punishment. It actually cost him his marriage. So he moved in there with his wife and his two kids and they didn't want to stay in the house anymore and he didn't want to leave. So his wife left him and his, he didn't have a relationship with his daughter for many, many years. He wow. stayed behind. Like, he was dedicated. Get it? <laughs> Bye, Get it. family. Peace. I'll stay. I'll, I'll stay with the centurion, the dead <laughs> pagan children and the witches. Thanks. In this room, the bishop's room, he says that he gets visited regularly by two demonic entities, and he believes that there's an incubus and a succubus. So, sex demons. Perfect. He says he's been raped by both (gasps) multiple occasions. On multiple occasions. The first night he stayed in that bed, after the incubus and succubus had their way with him, they dragged him from his ankles and threw him across the room from the bed. Violently. Wow, we're done with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, literally. (laughs) We're done. Literally. They yeeted him across the room. So shadow figures and unexplained knocking noises across the roof are reported in this room. When the inn operated as a pub, like I said, those who spent their night there just could not stay the entire night. Going to take you briefly outside. So outside of the inn, there is a barn. There's said to be a dark entity that haunts this area, but he takes quite a liking to blonde women. So you'd be okay. I'm in. Yeah. Yes. He grabs them on the bum. I'm in. He grabs them on the boob. I'm in. <laughs> But he hates men. So he's violently pushed men out of his space but lets the blondies come through. There is another entity that is said to lurk in the barn. This one is reported as being a dark mass standing seven feet tall and he appears mostly at the entrance of the barn and he is much more of a aggressive, like all-round aggressive Mm. entity. Apart from the hundreds of reported hauntings, there are some say that the inn is alive. Nowadays, it's filled with beetles, flies, woodworm, for sure. Like, the place is literally rotting. The inn takes your mind to a place, and suddenly you are acutely aware of almost all the musical warps, twists, shrieks, expansions, as you stand in a place rotting from the inside out with a thousand years of slow death. So when are we going? Number four. The Island of the Dolls, Mexico. Ever heard of this one? What is it with you and freaking dolls? <laughs> I've got more photos to show her. She no, doesn't know yet. No photos. Just a few miles south from the center of Mexico City is an island. I am not going to try to pronounce the Mexican annunciation for this because I have a couple of friends who are fluent, 
fluent in Spanish, so I'm not going to go there. And also you are white. And they would kill me. Yeah. <laughs> let's just refer to it as the Island of the Dolls. Okay. Okay, so let's, let's talk about its history. In the 1950s, we've got John Julian Santana Barrera. Barrera. That sounds so romantic. We're going to call him Don because Don's easier. Don decided one day he was going to leave his family and go and live alone on this little island just south of Mexico City. Don became this island's unofficial caretaker. He very rarely left. When he would, he'd go and sell vegetables and he did like the occasional alcoholic beverage made from native plants. So he would often leave the island to go and consume such beverages. So he literally was just like, peace out world, I'm done. I'm going to live on an island. We, 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 By all myself. Joke, we all joke about it, but he did it. He, he did was, the damn thing. He was done. Yeah. Over time, Don became very superstitious, and this resulted in him doing a lot of preaching around this little town that was close, mainly around the Bible. Basically, people got sick of Don and his crap, and they said to him, we don't want you coming to the local area. We're sick of hearing it. Stay on your island. (laughs) Stay in your lane, Don. Stay in your lane. Don stayed on his island. One day... Don came across the dead body of a drowned girl and her doll. So sad. As he was greatly superstitious and deeply religious, he was concerned that the girl's dead spirit would end up on the island haunting him. To appease the young girl, he hung her doll on a tree. This one act became a habit that he would not and could not break for the rest of his life. In order to continue to appease the young girl, Don would retrieve dolls that were either washed up on the canal or in the garbage, and he would hang these discarded dolls all over the island. These dolls were hung in whatever way they were found. He did nothing to fix them. A lot of these dolls are missing limbs, their eyes are poked in, they're weathered, but there is said to be in excess of... 1500 decaying dolls on this island literally my worst nightmare so these dolls are damaged from the sun they have skin covered in bubbles blotches blisters the wind and the rain have eroded the surface paint of the dolls leaving them pale and skull-like faces i'm sure the little girl's spirit would have loved it some of the doll's hair has been affected leaving them with these jagged tufts of hair that make them look like they were suffering from diseases. And I'm not sleeping ever again. Many of the dolls have been hung using washing lines or shoved into the gaps of branches. He also liked to take decapitated doll heads and put them on stakes all around the island. This dude was not trying to appease a young girl, okay? <laughs> like, he creepy as fuck and he's just looking for an excuse to be creepy. According to stories from the locals, Don reported to be increasingly haunted by the girl and he would often hear her whisper, I want my doll, coupled with footsteps in the night. In a turn of events in 2001, Don was found dead in the same location where the girl had drowned 50 years earlier. Some of the locals say that he actually drowned as a deliberate act to join the girl's spirit. I could see it. Checks out. Potentially. But as of today, the island is in the care of Don's nephew. If you're in Mexico City, um, they do boat tours around the island. And for a four-hour round trip, you can go visit the island and its dolls for a mere $75. Locals insist that there are spirits on the island that come to life at night and whisper among themselves. Visitors to the island bring dolls as a sign of respect and they also ask for blessings. Locals typically refuse to go to the location because they firmly believe it is haunted. Yeah, I'm with the locals on that. And I can think of so many better ways to spend $75. You want to have a look? No, I never want to look. You asked me the... Ah! Oh, no! So this is one of the dolls... Oh, no! Oh, no! 
cat is decapitated and she's sitting on some branches. Folks, like, it actually looks like a small child's head that has been covered in spider webs and just years of rot. How is this supposed to be at all pleasing to a child's <laughs> spirit? Wait, it gets good. There's one in particular I really it want gets you to good, see. She this is one of these small baby dolls I'm showing her okay. now. Okay, you, you've got to stop what you are doing right this sec. I don't care if you're driving. Pull over and Google image search Island of the Dolls. You will not be disappointed. If you want to actually crap your pants, you will not be disappointed. It's really good. It's I not had, good. There's nothing good about it. I had an amazing time looking at these images. Oh, my God. You showed these to your husband too, I right? Sure did. And what did he say? He kind of laughed. Yeah, he w- he's sick like you. It, no, he, he was more so of the, I don't believe in that stuff. <laughs> oh, what are those nervous on the big tough man laughs? Okay. And Arthur's like, have a look at another one. He's like, I've seen it, I've seen it, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, like, he's like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Number three. We're off to Canada now, eh? Oh, I'm going to get so many people mad for saying that. <laughs> Our next location you would definitely never want to take your family to, although lots of people do. Actually, I shouldn't say that. I don't want to be sued. Um... A wonderful hotel in Canada <laughs> is the Fairmont Banff Springs. Let me just start off by saying I feel like all hotels are just a little haunted. Like, just a little bit. There is something creepy about hotels. Like, I'm not saying that hotels are the Grim Reapers or you can eat buffet, but I'm not saying they're not either. <laughs> like, sometimes people kill themselves in hotels because they're worried their body won't be found by anybody. Yeah. And that's really sad. It's really sad. Really sad, like bummer, bummer town. And other times they just don't want anyone that they know to have to clean it up. Yeah, 100%. So researchers have actually regarded hotels as lethal locations. According to one study done in King County, Washington, people are over 19 times more likely to commit suicide in a hotel than at home. Which, I mean... Checks out. <laughs> checks out. Wow, that was really insensitive. <laughs> that was terrible. I'm so sorry. That was terrible. I did not mean it in that fashion. That you was said terrible. It. You said it. You heard it. She said <laughs> it. Um, but now let's talk about one particular hotel that's had guests check in but never check out. Love it. I'm talking about the gorgeous property known as the Fairmont Banff Springs, located in Banff, Alberta, Canada. And this place is at a whopping 1,414 metres altitude. Oh, wow. So it's really, like, above, above, above Mm. sea level. If you're not familiar with the location, highly recommend a quick Google image search. Um, It's gorgeous. It looks like something straight out of a a fairy tale, Mm. basically. The hotel overlooks the valley towards Mount Rundle, both of which are situated in the Rocky Mountain Ranges. So you've got this gorgeous like ornate kind of a hotel in these beautiful mountain ranges. There's a lake right in front of the hotel, which is crystal blue, like crystal blue. Never seen a blue like that in your life. It was opened in 1888 by the Canadian Pacific Railway as one of Canada's earliest Grand Railway hotels. And the original hotel was uh, designed by a guy named Bruce Price. That is definitely an architect's name, don't you it think? It sounds like it, right? It's a perfect name. Bruce Price. <laughs> architect. <laughs> <laughs> you know that that's his definite flex on his business card. <laughs> when he's voicemail. Yeah. You've reached Bruce Price. Architect. <laughs> he growls it like Batman too every time. <laughs> um, but sadly, in 1926, a fire destroyed the original structure of the hotel, um, although a replacement was built shortly after in uh, 1928. So they rebuilt pretty quickly. Yeah. The present hotel um, is made up of two main buildings, an 11-story tower, and then the main block of the hotel. So if that gives you a little bit of a visual. The main block was erected from 1927 to 1928. Cannot say erected without giggling to myself. Very sorry. <laughs> I'm basically a child. Correct. She is basically a child. You should not give me a microphone. <laughs> I'm taking it off her as we speak. <laughs> but the the original structure could hose. Uh, hose. Wow. Okay. Yeah. No. I might moving on. I never said that. <laughs> She's giving me the dirtiest look right now. A few moments later. Could house up to 280 guests. I'm good. I'm good. I made it. Um, if you've ever been fortunate enough to go to Banff, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. This property is just stunning. 
It sounds beautiful, to be completely fair, putting all the hauntedness aside. Sounds stunning. Yeah, but now for the spooky stuff. Hit us with it. Because it's what we're here for. So probably the most famous of all the spectres residing at the Banff, um, I'm just going to call it the Banff Springs, it is the Fairmont Banff Springs, so it is owned by Fairmont Group, but I'm just going to shorten it to Banff Springs to make it nice and easy. Even just Banff, isn't that what we do as Australians? We shorten everything to the most ridiculous things like survey. Let's go to survey. But... Banff is like a city, so it would be like saying the hotel is the city. Eh, I'm alright. I know where you're going. She's fine with it. The girl who I'm lives fine. in Australia her whole life is fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the bride mm. even has her own stamp, like a stamp in Canada and a coin. Epic. Yeah. How do I get one of those? <laughs> um, well, you die in a hotel. <laughs> Done. So the story of the ghost bride dates back to the late 1920s. The story goes that on a young couple's wedding day, the bride decked out in her beautiful gown, descended the the staircase of the hotel, having her Cinderella moment, and something startled her, causing her to slip, and she actually fell to her death. Oh downstairs. my god! Um, some say she caught her hem in. Like, she caught her heel in the hem of the dress. Mm. Others say she brushed against some candles that were burning along and the dress caught fire and it startled her. But either way, she fell down the stairs and she is said to be haunting this particular hotel in her wedding dress. Since then, the, the hotel staff and guests have reported seeing, like, a veiled figure moving up and down the stairs at random times of the day or seeing a figure in a wedding dress dancing in the main ballroom upstairs pining for her dance with oh, her with her first husband that she never had. Then we come to an absolute legend, okay? Sam the Bellman. What a dude. Okay. <laughs> um, stories of Sam McCauley, uh, they're just, like, if you go to this property and you say Sam McCauley, everyone knows who you're talking about. Okay. So he was a lovely old Scotsman who was the head of the Bellman service during the 60s and 70s. He worked there for over 25 years. And it's rumoured that he's been circulating around the hotel since 1975. Before his passing, he actually joked with his co-workers that when he died, he was going to come back and haunt the hotel. Go, Sam! (laughs) I knew you'd love that. (laughs) Awesome bloke. Yeah. (laughs) It's reported that Sam's actually a helpful spirit. Most of the stories involve him mentioning some kind of service that he's provided to staff or guests. And one happy occasion involved two elderly women who were calling the bell desk for assistance after they found out their key to their room wouldn't work. The regular bellman was occupied with other duties and didn't respond for 15 minutes. By the time he arrived at the door, it was unlocked. One of the women said an older bellman wearing a plaid jacket matching Sam's description exactly had helped them. No. Yes. Other stories include Sam haunting his old office, which is now actually a guest room on the mezzanine floor, as well as seeing apparitions of him and feeling cold spots in the earth on the 6th, 7th and ninth floor of the hotel, which were said to be his favourite floors because it got the best views. Epic. He, he's just heading back to his um, area. He's going to do some work. But I love it. How People he, are in there. I love it how he's like, I'm going to haunt this place. And I'm going to do a damn good job and I'm going to take your luggage. Yeah. (laughs) I wonder what he does for tips. I don't know. What do ghosts like? I don't know. I I literally don't know. No, neither. It's not like you can leave like milk and cookies for him or anything. The first one was kind of sad. The second one was kind of, aw. And this one's really a bummer. Okay. Hit us with it. Very sorry. So now we come to the rooms. This place is already haunted as is, but there's one particular room which has a very dark Dark energy. So dark, in fact, the hotel has boarded it up. They will not have guests in that room. It's completely inaccessible for anybody anywhere now. And that is room 873. Unfortunately, yeah, if you're an adrenaline junkie or you're just a shock sister, you're not going to get to stay there. Apparently, after years of people claiming they were terrorized by the suite, the hotel decided to permanently seal room 873. The story has a few variations, but the main gist is an entire family was murdered by the father. So wife, two kids, murdered by the father, murder-suicide. And guests that have stayed in that room have reported being awoken by the sound of screaming. And when they turn on the lights, they'd see bloody handprints on the mirror. Now, depending on who it is you ask, some people say that the bloody handprints would not clean off, like they won't come off. And other people say that they disappear before someone's had a chance to come back and clean them. So there's different versions of the story. 
While the hotel won't say exactly which other rooms, I guess they still want to have a business, Mm -hmm. there are other staff that say there are other rooms in the hotel that are haunted by men who supposedly died while constructing the railways, who might have stayed at the hotel or who might have had relatives staying at the hotel. But the darkest energy by far comes from 873. Whatever spirits haunt these rooms, it's safe to say that if you stay in those haunted rooms, you can't rest in peace because they can't and they don't want you resting in peace either. Number two. Have you heard of Hotel Cecil in LA, California? Is that anything like the Hotel California? I wish it was. You told me I wasn't allowed to sing anymore. You're so. not. Okay. <laughs> You're not. Tell me about Cecil. You've heard of Cecil though, right? It, it, look, I'm, I'm a bit of a true crime slash morbid curiosity person. So I've heard it in passing, but I don't know any of the details. Okay, so I'm not going to focus too much on the history. Mm-hmm. I'm going to brush over a, a few brief points and then let's talk about whether this is a haunted location. I really think that if this is a topic of interest, there are so many podcasts, YouTube videos. There's the wonderful Netflix documentary that was recently done um, the Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel, which refers to the story of Elisa Lamb, which yeah, everyone's heard about. Everyone's heard of Elisa Lamb. And it was really that story that threw this hotel into the limelight. This hotel, a little bit of a scrappy looking hotel, right? So you look up pictures now and you go, oh, she's a bit scrappy looking. Inside was this beautiful marble lobby, stained glass windows, beautiful potted palms, $2.5 million dollars was invested into this hotel by three investors. What we know about the hotel is it's had more deaths in it than any other hotel in the world. That is something to put on a plaque right behind the check-in desk. It was founded back in 1924 in downtown LA. Online, some of the sources are a little sketchy, but what we do know, there were 700 hotel rooms. And this- That's huge. It's huge. This hotel was built for business travelers and tourists. And that was the whole agenda. Mm -hmm. The Great Depression hit, and the hotel became a bit of a budget stay for many. Some of the common tenants include sex workers, drug dealers, homeless people. Uh, and this was really because the the rooms were extremely affordable. I think um, I've got some references later on, but I think that was something like $21 a night for a single stay room. So it was extremely affordable. The hotel itself was actually situated on Skid Row, downtown L.A., I'm not going to get too much into the history, but there's a few things that I would like to say. You can research this hotel extensively and all it takes is a quick Google search to just see how many deaths occurred. I've got a running timeline here and there are over 80 deaths over a very short period of time. And the majority of these people died through really two mechanisms. So the first was people going to the hotel, going to a room, and then jumping out the window. Why would you pay for a hotel room if you're just going to jump out the window? Does this come back to not being in your home and having your loved ones find you? Sure. Because that's the sort of the question that went through my mind. We, we even have one instance where a lady um, committed suicide. She fell out the window onto a pedestrian and killed both of them instantly. Damn, we have That's a bad day. Terrible. And we have other situations where we had in 1944, a lady stayed there. Um, apparently she didn't know that she was pregnant, gave birth to a child on the bathroom floor and then threw it out the window. She claims that it was stillborn, but when the paramedics and the police got there, it was living and breathing. The child was thrown to its death. We've got staff members dying. I think what also seals the deal is between 1980 and 1990, we actually had two serial killers who stayed in the hotel. Ah, that's right. We had Jack Untenweger and Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. And these two stayed there over that period that they were killing. When you start thinking about all of these past events and the some energy. of the, the energy and the yeah. evil that's been there. I mean, Richard Ramirez alone. Ugh. Ugh. The most famous, the most infamous, if you like, is the Elisa Lamb situation, which 
you know, unusual circumstances. We don't know what was going on. And I'm sure most of you have seen that elevator footage. And if you haven't, I highly recommend you Google it. It is three and a half, four minutes of the most bizarre footage I've ever seen in my life. It really is. It almost looks like someone has taken out her brain, put in an automated chip that then malfunctioned because she's not... She's not the way she moves and walks around and does things. It's it bizarre, does right? the hand movements. The hand movements. Um, bizarre. And for four minutes, those elevator doors remain open, and she's punching those buttons. The number of times I've nearly had an arm taken off by an elevator. Right. As we know, Elisa was found naked, floating in the water tank. Terrible, terrible stuff. Right. Awful. The Seesaw Hotel shut in 2017 for renovations. The work has been suspended indefinitely due to COVID-19. In 2017, the LA City Council voted to deem the hotel as a historic cultural monument. And as we know, the hotel is actually the inspiration for the fifth season of American Horror Story. Awesome. The Cecil Hotel is classified as one of the world's most haunted locations. Let me talk a little bit about some of the other creepy events and this is more of the unknown right so this was this was all very difficult to find information love it we're going to talk a little bit and i will withhold his name but we have a singer and creator who moved to la to surround himself with other creatives it was ed sheeran wasn't it (laughs) (laughs) no he got an apartment across the road from the cecil hotel so he lives directly across from it Mm -hmm. Keeping in mind, Cecil Hotel is shut. Yes. The doors are locked. It's shut. No one goes in. No one goes out. Renovations are at a standstill. Yeah. They don't know when it's reopening. He sees shadows in the windows of the building and doors opening and closing on their own. But what he does is, and this is this is most interesting, he actually takes pictures at different times during the day and will go live on TikTok at different points during the day to show his viewers the changes that he's seen. And TikTok love this. They're all over this. So there I are, need to find this. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I watched some of his footage and you can see no lights on and then a light on in a random room. Or he often sees the curtains moving. Or a window that was closed is now open. Bizarre. To make it even weirder, this particular individual claims that he was talking to his friend on the phone. His friend. On the I'm phone. doing I'm doing air quotes. Funny as friend. <laughs> in between us yeah, in between his reference. You were gonna apologies. learn this about us. We are oh, huge in between us fans. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, yeah. Oh my god. If you wanna laugh after a terrible day, in between us. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. He's on the phone chatting to a friend. And he's chatting about the Cecil Hotel and a water bottle flies from one side of the room to the other. And he looks over and he goes, oh, bloody Cecil Hotel. Another event occurred where he was going live, taking photos, all the rest of it. um, And the fire alarms started going off in the Cecil Hotel. So he's like, what on earth is going on? Chatting to his friend on the phone again. And he's saying, I'm really scared. Like, is there a fire? Um, I can hear the, the alarms going off in the Cecil Hotel. And then the next minute, his own fire alarm went off and his camera stopped working. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about somebody that we'll refer to as the unknown visitor. And this is because this person prefers to remain unnamed. And I would too, with the Cecil Hotel being as popular as it is, I too wouldn't want to be associated with any of this. So this is, this is a story according to somebody who stayed there in 2016. Okay, so a year before it Ye- shut. Correct. Okay. So this particular individual, it's a female, and she claims she had issues with the water in the bathroom. So initially turning on the faucet, nothing coming out, and then the next minute, sticky brown liquid coming from the faucet. At this point, she goes, you know what? I'm just going to bed. I'm not dealing with this. She goes to bed. Shortly after, she's woken up in the middle of the night by a man banging on her door. She opens it. The man shoves her out of the way runs inside, slams the door behind himself, locking her outside. It's outside. It's the middle of the night. So is she this goes, a guy who works at the hotel? No, or is this is just, just another visitor. Dude? Just a random. 
Okay. She goes down to reception, says to security, hey, this is what's just happened. Security goes, right, let's go up. They go upstairs. They're looking around, can't find him. Security finally opens the bathroom and finds the man on the floor has slashed his wrists. And she's like, you know what? This is all weird. I don't want to be here. She decides, okay, it's the middle of the night. I've got to just sleep here. I've got to suck it up tonight. But tomorrow I'm out of this place. The next morning she goes down for breakfast. She gets into the lift and presses the button for the lobby. The elevator reaches the lobby, but the doors don't open. No. No. Mm -mm. Then the lift goes back up to the third floor. The doors open briefly then close, then take it to the sixth floor. She's pressing the emergency button on the intercom where a loud static noise fills the lift. The lift then plummets the six floors down to the lobby where it catches itself before it hits the bottom. In case you didn't get it the first two times, ghost in the elevator. She gets out and she's like, I'm not doing this. I got to go further downstairs. I'm taking the stairwell. I'm not doing this. I got to go down. She runs into a lady and her child in the stairwell. There are children in this hotel. They sure are. The little girl says, Mama, that lady isn't real just like Eleanor. And the mum says, No, she's real. I can see her and only you can see Eleanor. And then the little girl says, No, she isn't real because she has shadows following her like Eleanor does. (gasps) She gets a breakfast, she gets a shit, and she's out. She was hungry. She's like, I might be haunted, but I want my toaster strudel. Well, I think, <laughs> you know what? I think she got to the point where she was like, all right, I'm on the bottom floor. I'm going to get my food. I'm going to head back up and go my crap, and I'm out of here. Yeah. I'm done. Why would you even go back up? At that well, point. Well, she had to go get her stuff, right? But at that point, it's clothes, buy new stuff. Well, anyway, that that was it for her. She was done and dusted. I love how that was the final point. That was it. There wasn't guy killing himself so the bad. night before in her hotel room that she was like, I'm out. No. I'm out. I think she was giving it the benefit of the doubt. And, and I mean, it's... <laughs> She's giving it the, the benefit, benefit of the doubt. Th- I tell you what, bad Yelp review. That That's what's yeah. happening with that. That's getting a bad Yelp review. 100%. Our very last weird encounter. In 2014, there was a little 11-year-old boy and he was taking photos of the hotel. There looked like there was somebody hanging from one of the floors in the photo who wasn't there when the photo was taken. They're thinking it's potentially a ghost, but there was nobody there when it was taken. I've got a copy of... I've got... Guess what, ladies and gentlemen? (laughs) She has a copy of the photo. So this is the window. There they're saying is potentially a guy hanging from the side of the hotel out the window. I mean, creative mind. It kind of looks like his butt is hanging out the window. And and that's exactly... It's funny you say that because that's exactly how it was described. It's almost like he's lowering himself down yep. out of the window. It literally looks like a guy who's got his the top half of his body still inside the window and he's lowering himself down with his butt yep. facing outwards. And that's exactly how it was described online. And the longer I look at it, the more I see it. When I first yep. saw it, I'm like, You're like, oh, that what? could be, couldn't, might and not be. you look at it for a few more seconds, which is, what do we call this? A confirmation bias. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> <laughs> this little boy suffered severe nightmares to the point where he was like, I don't want to look at this photo anymore. I think they he spoke to one media outlet. It spread like wildfire, as it was. I mean, the Cecil Hotel was making headlines for some time. But the question I have for you is, with so much evil in one location, and you think about all of these suicides, you think about people jumping from windows. The mob hits. Like, you think about all the craziness. You've, you've got serial killers staying there. Can so much evil happen in one location and it not be haunted? And number one. I would like to bring you back to the Aussie shores. Ooh, let's do it. We are actually in Australia. We are. And it's not Australia, it's Australia. Australia. And we are bringing you back to the very beginning of Australia, back to the turn of the 17th century, back when Australia was just an itty bitty baby. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're living in Australia, or even if you've ever done any kind of traveling here, you've probably heard of Port Arthur, more specifically the Port Arthur Massacre. What you may not know is that the remnants of Port Arthur is actually a penal colony, but it's actually a really haunted place in Australia. 
I just want to mention briefly, because I did just speak about the Port Arthur Massacre, out of respect for the victims and their families, I won't be talking about the massacre today. I do want to acknowledge that it happened. It was an important part of Australian history, very sad point in Australian history. We are very thankful for the gun reforms that have come from it since. And at some point, we will maybe do a deeper dive into that and gun laws in this country as a result of that, but we won't be talking about any of that today. We're going to keep it kind of lighter, talk about the... I say kind of lighter, but wait till you hear what I have to say. (laughs) We're going to talk more about the spiritual side of it. So I don't want anyone out there to think that I'm ignoring it. I'm definitely not, but we would love to give it the respect and the the full attention that it deserves. So we don't want to skip over it. It's been more than 140 years since Port Arthur Penal Colony was actually shut down. So it only operated as a colony for about 44 years. But during this 44 years, it was brutal slavery and punishment for the worst of the worst sent from the motherland. Some as young as 10 years old. (laughs) It's reported that they had thousands of people there during its operation and only a few hundred actually came out. A lot of convicts were sent to uh, Aussie shores during the turn of the century and they landed in Port Arthur. A lot of people that were there, again, you know, they were bad people, but a lot of people were just there because they stole to support their families. Yeah, I heard there was a lot of theft of, like, bread and milk and things like that. Or, like, like, occasionally you'd get, like, a sheep or, you know. It was a really... Back in those days in England, it was an extremely hard time to survive. By 1830, Port Arthur was fully established and functioning as a penal settlement. The prison was allowed to operate with industrial purpose. Port Arthur was actually set up and their main function was timber mining. They also did shipbuilding and for the really bad convicts, it was coal mining. Okay. So that one was thought to be the the hardest, Mm. most dangerous. Yeah, I'd pass on that one. So they would work around the clock, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, in shifts, and they would work in the extremes of Tasmanian weather. Now, for those of you who don't know, Tasmania can get very, very, very cold. Mm -hmm. Um, Lots of wind, lots of rain, lots of water in the air, like very strong winds, and it can also get extremely hot. (laughs) The beauty of both. Yeah. <laughs> Tasmania, if you have never been, you don't know where it is. It's at the very southern part of Australia. It's also considered very dangerous to be going from the mainland of Australia to Tasmania by boat. The The seas there are treacherous mm. and notoriously rough. So going back to the 17th century, when we definitely did not have the technology we have today, it was probably even more dangerous. On top of the manual labor and harsh prison conditions, the prisoners were no strangers to brutal beatings or lashings within an inch of their lives. Prisoners would often receive these harsh punishments for anything, even as little as sleeping three minutes past morning roll call. Brutal. The paranormal activity that is reported there is not reported just to one building. It's actually across the entire site. People have claimed to hear disembodied voices, other noises they can't really explain as they are walking through the historic site. Some say they have smelt things that are just unexplainable. Mm. Some of the reports have been the smell of wet leather. There's obviously no wet leather around. Other smells are campfires and things like that. But again, there's no fires anywhere around. There's no fires that have been burning previously. And they get the smell of rot, for the better lack of a word. There's no explanation. Obviously, the site's been shut down for hundreds of years. It's been cleaned many times. It's been visited by hundreds of people, thousands of people even. It's been cleaned, so there's no reason for it to smell like that. Poltergeist activity is there, and some people have claimed to be physically attacked while they're walking through the prison sites. Scratching, pushing, doors being slammed behind people as they walk through a room, and doors being locked, all fairly common. One of the haunted spots at Port Arthur is actually the asylum. Go figure. Yeah. But this asylum was a little bit different. So it was built in 1860, and at the time it was thought to be really ahead of the curve in terms of mental health and how they handled it. Because unlike other asylums, they didn't punish the people that were living there. Mm-hmm. The asylum focused on having a really soothing and calming environment, which was extremely rare. Yeah, I was extremely going to rare. say. A lot of the work duties that would normally be given to regular prisoners were cut back. And the real focus was on giving the people who staying at the asylum activities that could stimulate them mentally, like gardening on the grounds and going for like nature walks. So okay. they, I think they really understood the people that were there were not well yeah and they focused on 
rehabilitation and wellness activities, wellness activities yeah. and reintegration, all these things that we're really just learning about now. The asylum at one point was actually a school and it's said to contain the spirit of an elderly lady and a little girl who often seen together holding hands walking through the area. No one knows the identity of these two and no one knows when they lived there or when they died there. But it's reported that of all the ghosts there, they are the most gentle. Mm. Perhaps the most paranormal activity occurring at Port Arthur is in a building known as the separate prison. Looking at photos of this place, you get this overwhelming sense of misery and foreboding. This was like no accident. The architects designed it this way on purpose as a way of warning the prisoners to be on their best behavior. If you broke the law, you were sent to Port Arthur. If you broke the prison rules, you were sent to the separate prison. Unlike the main prison, the separate prison did not beat its inmates. Instead, it was really strong on using the solitary system, which was gaining popularity throughout the world at the time. Prisoners were kept in complete silence and no social interaction whatsoever was allowed. Unfortunately, this did a lot more harm than it did good. The only activity they were allowed to participate in as a group was going to church on a Sundays. But even in the church, they were forced to stand in these um, upright sort of pews that had screens either side so they couldn't see their fellow prisoners. They could only look straight ahead at the chaplain. And they were also required to wear black hoods over their faces while they did it. So they could sing. They could sing along with the hymns, but they weren't allowed to interact with the chaplain. They weren't allowed to ask questions. They weren't allowed to speak to the other uh, to the guards or to the other prisoners. Mm -hmm. That rule was for the entire prison the entire time. It was a silent prison. Oh my god! I actually just thought of you going there to a silent location. Are you saying I don't shut up? (laughs) Never. I got full anxiety just reading this. Just reading me. Could you imagine someone saying, Katie, no speaking? Honestly, give me this. If you want to scare me, don't give me the the death penalty. Give me this. (laughs) Rest of my natural life in a silent prison. (laughs) I'm in hell already. Most of the time, the prisoners were there. They were spent inside of their cells. The cells Mm. were about a meter and a half by a meter and a half. And there was no bed in the cells. They had a swag in there. Um, oh. For those who are outside of Australia and uh, don't know what a swag is, a swag is like a rolled up sleeping bag. There was no toilets. They had a bucket that they were allowed to use. The bucket would be taken away once a day. Oh, and that was their bathroom and that was their sleeping quarters. But in those, in those cells, they also had like a desk and a chair. They were permitted to partake in crafts as long as they were silent so they could weave they could make furniture to a certain extent, but again, it had to be a silent kind of activity. So they were allowed to um, create carpets and things like that, but they weren't allowed to do any kind of woodworking. Obviously, disease and illness were rampant in the separate prison. During the days, they were given work to do. Um, as I mentioned, they could do crafts. They were also given a lot of tailoring work. So mending clothes for other prisoners and for wardens and for the wardens' families. They spent 23 and a half hours a day confined in silence and solitude. 23 and a half hours a day. Yeah. Every three months they could write a letter and every three months they could receive a letter. They could not do the same on the same day. If they needed something, they had these special designed cells. They could pull a handle in the cell and it would open up almost like a latch to the outside. No bell. Mm -hmm. So it was like a latch, like a door that opened up, which flagged the walking, the guards walking past and they came over to get the request from the prisoner, which was written on a piece of paper. There were lamps in the cells that were kept on all day and night, so the guards could see them through the peepholes of the actual cell doors. They weren't allowed to have their lights off. And guards would pass their food and drink through a specially designed door that did not allow the prisoners to see the guards or the other side of the door. After breakfast every day, they actually got time to exercise. It was a half an hour. They were escorted by a guard from their cell out to the exercise yard. Prisoners might actually interact with another prisoner during that time while they're being transported to and from the yard. However, there was a rule of the prison that if that happened, one prisoner had to stand and face the wall while the other prisoner passed and then they were allowed to keep on walking. So they were never allowed to face one another. And again, they were wearing, anytime they were outside of the cells, they had to wear those black hoods. So they never knew, even if they did see someone, they never knew who they were. Like talk about psychological torture. It's like, it's taking solitary confinement to a whole new level. Wait, it gets better though. The silence rule 
when they say silence is golden, they're not kidding. The entire prison had carpets and the guards wore soft slippers. So their shoes didn't even make sound walking on the cobblestones. If you're thinking that there might be a bit of misery there, you'd be A correct. lot of misery. The main wall of the separate prison had a central hallway from which everything radiated out. So the officers in charge, they could see the B blocks and C blocks, but they could also see into all the exercise yards. So there was eyes on the prisoners at all times. It was considered state of the art because this kind of design of prison had never occurred anywhere in the world before. The officer in charge at night had to look down the corridors at all times, keeping his eyes on all the cells. Because again, if there was an issue, they couldn't yell out for help. They only had that little flag system. He had to keep his eyes out and he had to be alert. And to prove that he was alert, he had to put a little brass key into a specially designed clock every 15 minutes. Oh my God. And in the morning, the supervisor would check to see if those little brass keys were put into the clock. And if any were missing, his pay would be docked. So they were really strict on the rules. Absolutely. If prisoners insisted on speaking to each other or shouting back towards one another or answering back to the guards, they were given special punishment of the dark cell. Sounds ominous as F, right? So the dark cell was the worst kind of punishment because in there, prisoners were not only deprived of the sound of human interaction, so the very little sound that they did get that was now completely gone, they were deprived of everything else as well. Yeah, well, now you're plunged into complete darkness with your no ability to hear. You have no ability to see. And it was extreme. The walls of this dark cell were made in double-lined stone, so absolutely no sound got through, not even sounds from nature, like the sounds of the the water yeah, or animals passing by. You, you'd yeah. hear nothing. There was a sy- system of double doors so that even though a guard would come to bring them food and water, he brought them through shutting the outer door first, letting in no light and then passing the food through the second door before exiting that way. So you would have absolutely no light whatsoever. It was reported that a sane man could lose his mind completely in in as little as 48 hours in the dark cell. Visitors and paranormal investigators report hearing disembodied screams of a man losing his mind in this prison. The separate prison was so horrible that it said that even the toughest criminal was a broken man within few months of regular cells in the separate prison. People report a very dark energy when visiting the space. I wonder why. And many have reported being touched, shoved, scratched. In 1835, there was a number of convicts who were working on building the foundations of the separate church's prison. One of the men, William Wiley, is said to have just suddenly turned on another man, Joseph Suttleworth, and brutally murdered him. William is said to have struck his victim in the head three times with a pickaxe and then exclaiming casually, I am satisfied. This attack was purportedly completely unprovoked Mm. and without motive. Wiley later hung for his crime, and there are those that think that this is one of the darker entities still calling the separate prison home for the afterlife. I mean, it sounds like it'll check out, right? Mm -hmm. He seemed pretty satisfied with his actions. He's probably sticking around to get some more satisfaction out of torturing. I think he even said, I am satisfied. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I think you're on the right track there. William was shipped out to Port Arthur when he was just 14, and it was said he was a drunken alcoholic by the time he was 16, and then he committed that murder in his late 20s. Another entity seen to be walking around this church that they built was the Ghost of the Blue Lady. No one really knows a whole lot about this woman, but it's believed she lived in Port Arthur back in the 1800s and was probably one of the wives of one of the wardens. It's believed that both her and her child died during childbirth, and she's seen in the church praying for the loss of both of their souls. Oh, sad. Yeah. In addition to the Blue Lady, they have claimed to see groups of children all around the grounds, usually playing, and then all of a sudden they just disappear into thin air. Some guests have claimed to have these kids run right through their bodies as they're standing mm-hmm. there. Creepy. I always get a little skeptical of that. Yeah, me too. Watch a ghost run right through me, like, tomorrow. In conclusion... Woof. Gross. So what are your uh, what are your final thoughts? Haunted or not? I've always said that um, real life is scarier than fiction or yeah. hauntings, and I think the torture that they put on these prisoners is far more terrifying than anything that, yeah. that you'd ever see in any kind of haunting. But 
look, I don't think you can have, like the Cecil Hotel, I don't think you can have any place with so much misery, death, and destruction, and torture, and not have a dark energy attached to it, so. I'd agree. I think there is something sinister when you have these locations with so much devastation and sadness and misery. It, It just can't be a good, happy place. Yeah. Again, much like my mother-in-law's at Thanksgiving. (laughs) I need to sage my entire apartment after that. That's all the time (laughs) we have to talk about. Definitely places you don't want to take your family for holidays. Or if you are Ames, you definitely want to take your family for holidays. I'm updating my holiday list as we speak. Yeah, she's booking. She's on travel websites right now. Can you, like, get off them, please? Yeah, I'm Googling Cecil Hotel. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If you have a suggestion for what you want your list to be about, you can let us know. You can chirp us on Twitter at TheBigListPod. Or follow us on Instagram at The Big List Podcast. Make fun of us on TikTok, The Big List Podcast. Or go old school and send us an email at biglistpod at gmail.com. Next time we are talking about it's a surprise. But this this is the end of our spooky yeah. series. So next episode is going to be a lot more fun and lighthearted and just something a little different. So we hope you join us for that. And this list is going to be big. big. Okay, bye. Bye now.